At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thursday, December 30th. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. I'm Peter Apple and I'm joined with Aram Layton. Before we get to our interview with stud left-handed flamethrower for the Miami Marlins, Jesus Cesardo, breaking news. Kyle Seeger retired, dude. What? He had 35 bombs last year. What was your reaction when you heard that? I was shocked. And you know what's great? You know what the best part about this what well, that, that's a horrible follow-up sentence but you know, <laughs> the best part about me finding out about it was is i actually found out from our instagram like i i found out from the just baseball fans instagram which in, in part proves that i have nothing to do with that but also <laughs> it was like wow like it's serving its purpose i found out on instagram before twitter like that's how good our our social guys that's how good matt is on on the instagram on just baseball fans because I saw it on there and I was like, what? And I I was expecting like Kyle Seeger signs. And I was like, no way he signs a minor league deal. He hit 35 no. jacks last year. And it's like Kyle Seeger retires. But he got his big contract, you know, like that deal was fat uh, and he just finished it out. Like you, you and I were talking about off the air. It seems like, you know, maybe he was tired of it, family stuff. There's so many things, maybe his, you know, his body was wearing down a little bit, but like you said, 35 jacks, I, I'm surprised Somebody would have given him a two-year deal for for 25 mil, no problem. No problem. And first of all, shout out Matt for the Instagram. You guys want to stay up to date on every single thing baseball. Go follow at just baseball fans. And if you want to see some memes, maybe some highlights of Arm and I talking ball, go follow the Just Baseball Show, which is in the link in Just Baseball Fans Instagram. But go and just go back to Kyle Seeger. This is a guy, he's been pretty prolific. He's a gold glover, he's an all-star. He has 242 career home runs, career 763 OPS. In his final season in 2021, the guy slashed 212, 285, 438 to give him a 723 OPS. Not exactly ideal, but what was ideal was 35 bombs and 101 RBIs in his final season. And he really ended it on a great note with this Mariners team. But if I'm Kyle Seeger, 
I'm like, wait a minute. The Mariners are about to burst. Julio Rodriguez is coming up. All these young pitchers. Could you just stick for a little while longer? There's a possibility for a championship here. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder, I wonder what, Bozy, what yeah. the, I wonder what the situation was. You yeah. Know, like, did they offer him a spot? Obviously they weren't going to let him be the everyday third baseman moving forward, but a bench spot, maybe he wasn't interested in a bench spot. But what I do love is that he played all 11 years of his career with Seattle. Yeah. You know, that's a guy that's like got to be in the Seattle Mariners hall of fame, maybe down the line, right? Like he, he played 11 years with them and, you know, he hit 20 home runs every single season except for the covid shortened season in 2020 i mean and excluding the 53 games he played in his first year i mean 20 home runs every single year of his career peter i mean 10 straight years basically like that's really impressive and you know he was never superstar level only made one all-star game but i mean this guy could really play he had a great career all with one team just very surprising to see him retire uh, 56 days after his 34th birthday uh but you know some people don't need much more after that. And, and clearly, you know, he was fulfilled. And I do love that at least the finish there was they didn't make the playoffs, but it was probably one of the best stories we've seen in baseball in a little while. Um, and, and, you know, he played a big part in that. So that final game too, when I look back on it, you, you remember seeing him walk off the field. It was emotional because we thought it was his last game with the Mariners, mm. but it seemed like he knew, I guess, in hindsight now that that, that was his last game period. Cause he did look very emotional but I just figured a decade plus in Seattle, that's where the emotions are. I think it's because he knew he was walking off the field for the last time. I think it's a great point. And I always, I, my first thought is always to question, why would these guys leave? Why did Buster Posey retire after an incredible season? Kyle Seeger at 35 bombs, drove in hundred RBIs and then retires, but it could just be something, family issues, COVID stuff. You never really know. So and, and I think what we're here to do. Too. Yeah, exactly. I think what we're about that. It's hard to be away from family. Yeah. And what we could do is just, celebrate their career and Kyle Seager was pretty much a beast for 11 seasons with the Seattle Mariners and I know fans will miss him dearly but now we welcome on Jesus Lazardo. Jesus thanks a lot for taking the time to speak with us how's the incredibly fun lockout treating you uh yeah no thank you guys for having me and uh no, I mean, it's been going, it's been going well, just kind of spending time here with my family, you know, uh, the holidays, uh, pretty important for me and just, uh, you know, going about my off season, like a regular off season. Well, that's kind of the key there, right? You talk about spending time with your family and for much of your professional career so far, you were on the other side of the country in Oakland. Now you get traded over to the Marlins and you're back home where you grew up. Uh, how awesome was that for you? Obviously getting traded, it's a whole process and there's a lot of uh, things that go with it and emotions that go with it, but to get traded to your childhood team and the area where you grew up close to it, uh, how awesome was that for you? No, it was definitely, um, it was definitely a blessing for me just being able to like come back home. Like you said, uh, definitely family is important for me and just being around my family, uh, you know, being around uh, close friends that haven't been able to get, uh, you know, gotten a chance to really watch me in person uh, since I was all the way over in Oakland. Um, so uh, it was, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. And also uh, it kind of helped me out, you know, kind of just being back home and being around people I love. I think it's uh it's definitely, like I said, a blessing. And I'm really curious in your trip around the bigs because you are just 23, 24 years old, actually 24 years old, but you were drafted by the nationals in the third round, sent to Oakland in the Doolittle trade. Then you were traded for Starling Marte back to your hometown of Miami. And at least recently you just had to move around a lot. And with 2020 
hit with COVID, you've been between multiple different teams. Has it been more difficult to continue to readjust to new surroundings with COVID happening at such a young age? And how do you develop that routine with that constant changeover? Yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, like you said, moving around, getting traded is never easy. Um, COVID probably didn't make it easier on, on a lot of the, a lot of the people, you know, got traded this year. Um, but definitely finding the routine is kind of is kind of tough. Just being able to, you know, you don't know where you're going. You don't know the new team, the new organization. Like it kind of takes a little bit for you to get a feel and just kind of, uh, you know, kind of feel things out. And uh, as, as you go along, you start to feel those things out and find a routine. But the first, I don't know, a couple of weeks, I would say uh, it's kind of it's kind of off. You know, it's kind of hard to find that same routine that you had over uh, for me when I was back over in Oakland. It just seems tough. It just seems really hard to continue and continue to readjust, joining new teams, new personnel, new guys in the in the dugout. That's why I just I feel like routine is so important in an everyday big leaguer. And I feel like that just messes it up completely. And it's it's on you kind of to continue to readjust. No, yeah, I agree. And I think that's something that uh, the best definitely do well, the best yeah. are able to do well and, and able to adjust quickly and, um, you know, make make changes in certain days, uh, you know, that most, you know, maybe younger guys take a little bit longer to adjust to a certain area or routine. Um, but like you said, I think routine is the most important part of a big league, um, you know, lifestyle, uh, being able to, to have this routine locked in that, you know, keeps your body on track and keeps your game on track is, is huge. So something about adjusting and, you know, ending up in a new opportunity, the Marlins have done a really good job as a late of developing pitchers, right? And, and Mel Stoudemire Jr. has been incredible with, with what he's done with the staff. And the Marlins have some really exciting young arms that I'm sure you can really learn a lot from and just bounce things off of back and forth. Not that Oakland didn't have some interesting arms too. Last time we talked, uh, which was, uh, you know, back on the Locked On and Movie Prospects podcast, you're telling me about how you were able to pick things out from a lot of interesting arms and, and really talented guys in Oakland. Now you meet a bunch of other really talented guys that are younger as well, uh, from, you know, Sandy Alcantara to Trevor Rogers to Pablo Lopez and so many more beyond that. Uh, I want to ask you about Mel in a minute too, because I think Mel's done an unbelievable job. But first, just with, with the pitchers, uh, how, how has that been getting acclimated to a new group and, and really being able to be surrounded by such talented young arms? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, definitely uh, coming over. I knew that, you know, they had a great staff before I got over there or over here. And, um, but they've been really welcoming, you know, ever since I came over, Sandy was right away talking to me, uh, you know, kind of helping me out in certain things. Pablo, same thing. Um, Trevor, ever, you know, ever since I met him, just like the nicest dude, uh, just a killer on the mound, though. And, you know, these are guys that it's so easy to just talk to, uh, sit next to them on the bench, have a conversation during the game while we're watching. And uh, that's what I like to do. I like to bounce, you know, like you said, bounce ideas and, and kind of pick their brains, see what they're doing. Because, um, you know, if, clearly, you know, these guys are having a lot of success and, and we've, we all just enjoy watching, sitting back and watching Sandy go out there and punch out 15 or whatever it is every five days. So. Um, you know, watching him do that, it's kind of motivational for all of us. And, and same thing, you know, every, every start, one of us, we all want to get better. So um, I think we feed off each other, definitely. And the really interesting thing with, with specifically Trevor and Sandy is that when Trevor first came up, you know, he showed some flashes, but also struggled a little bit. Sandy, when he first came up, struggled, got sent back down, came back up and started to get better. And then I think really hit his stride here, but we saw him progressively get better. I mean, it is a huge jump from triple A, double A up to the big leagues. And 
Mel Stoudemire has been there along the way. He's kind of seen how certain guys have been able to work through that. Uh, I think a lot of these guys have a work ethic themselves too, obviously that helped them get there. Uh, a lot of people throughout the organization, you ask pitchers, every interview I hear, Mel seems to be the guy that gets a lot of praise for the way he works with pitchers. You came in kind of late in the season and you had to just kind of go out there and pitch, right? I mean, right after the trade, uh, you were almost in the rotation, making a start not that long after. So you didn't have Crazy. too much time to really work and adjust and do things with Mel, but you did finish the year really, really strong. And I'm excited to get into that start because I watched back some of that and there were some cool things that you did in that outing. Did you get a chance to really work on things or were you kind of flying by the seat of your pants a little bit? And now you're getting an opportunity maybe to work a little bit more with a, a really well-regarded pitching coach. I think we definitely like the first couple of starts, uh, he, he kind of just let me go out there and do my thing, you know, didn't want to get in my head too much, you know, it was just kind of getting to know me and, and I was just getting to know him. Uh, but definitely as we started going along and, and the season started going progressing, you know, he'd give me little tips here and there, little things that, you know, we needed to work on and, uh, you know, everyone gives him a lot of praise and he definitely deserves it. I mean, everything that, that I've heard about him, uh, before I came over, uh, you know, ended up being true, just a great guy, great pitching coach, a lot of help, easy to talk to. So, um, you know, I'm grateful to be over here. And just going through all the names of people that you've gotten to meet with, play with, get coached by the amount of coaches, players, they're just, I mean, the amount of pitchers are so sick. Can you tell me what separates in terms like when we talked about routine, when we talked about a mindset, because every player in baseball, if you got to make the major leagues, you are incredibly talented, incredibly talented to make a professional sport. I'm curious what separates the good from the great when it comes to the routine and when it comes to the mindset? Because in my opinion, that's what separates the, all these guys with immense talent. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think that you, you watch certain guys and you watch certain guys go about their business. I mean, I, I watched Sandy go about his business for instance, and uh, he was, I would consider, you know, him great. Cy Young help. <laughs> so, um, you know, he just goes about his business every five days, every day he goes hard, he's in the gym here, whatever it is that he's doing that day, he's 100% dialed in on it. And, uh, you know, he has it down to a science for him, what works for him. And, um, you know, when you see a guy go out there and work that hard, then it kind of just, like I said, motivates all of us. Uh, you know, you see Trevor going out there, Pablo, Eliezer, me, uh, Edward. So all of us, you know, we, we kind of follow in those footsteps and, and see those. Uh, we want to be great, like, like, you know, like those routines that, like, that Sandy's doing. So, um, you know, that type of stuff, I would say mindset, these guys are out there on the mound and, uh, you know, they could be nice guys, great guys off the field, but once you're on the mound, it's kind of that killer instinct. Um, you know, these guys have it out for, for whoever's in the box. They don't care. They're just trying to go out there and execute their pitches. So, um, I think that that's the main, main thing that separates, you know, the good from the great. And, and just it, talking about that as well, on the flip side, I know that obviously you never name names and we wouldn't expect you to name names, but are there certain mindsets or certain routines that you've seen from other players where you're like, that's definitely not working? Maybe for our younger viewers who are still, you know, training every single day and want that correct routine. Is there stuff on the other side where you see, I don't want to do that at all? Yeah, I mean, I would say that a lot of guys uh, find routines that work for like for them. Uh, you know, some guys routines might work better for, you know, some let's say, uh, you know, this person might their routine might work for them, but for me, it won't. And I have to find my routine. So, um, you know, some sometimes I see people doing certain things and, you know, it's just like I to each his own. Uh, I kind of, yeah. you know, that and uh, but I, I know that I follow, you know, every, my five days, what I need to do. Uh, and I know my routine, that's kind of something I stick to, but um, yeah, it definitely varies from player to player, I would say. 
an underrated component uh, of the Marlins offseason up until the lockout. Of course, they made some moves. They're trying to win now. I think you can see that through the contract to Avi Garcia, going to trade for Jacob Stallings, trading for Joey Wendell. And they're adding pieces and supposedly, you know, the rumblings are that they're not done. Uh, I wanted to pinpoint on the Jacob Stallings acquisition because Stallings was, you know, one of the best, if not the best defensive catcher, gold glover last year, did not allow a single pass ball. That's crazy. Uh, the, the entire season, which That's is crazy. just absurd. How much does that give you confidence, you know, getting up there on the mound, especially for someone who really likes to throw that curveball in any count, knowing that you can like spike that thing. And somehow Jacob Stallings is going to smother it, not to mention the way he can steal strikes for you and everything like that. Is that something you're really excited for heading into next season? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's something I'm, you know, I've heard only great things about him, uh, you know, not only as a catcher, but as a teammate and as a player. So I'm excited to get to know him, meet him, play with him. And like you said, you know, you know, the number, we all know the numbers, you know, behind the plate and how good he is. And uh, that, that definitely gives a lot of confidence to a pitcher, you know, like you said, a guy who throws a lot of off speed at times, um, you know, it's something that, that I take uh, note of when I'm on the mound. And talking about that breaking ball, I just like to call it a bender because Fangraphs has it as a slider. Baseball Savant has it as a curveball, but it's 86 miles an hour and it moves four feet. How do you classify the pitch? And I'm just curious also about how it's matured throughout your development as a pitcher. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed a lot over the last like two years, I would say. Yeah. Um, I consider it a slider. It's always been kind of a slider for me, but um, it turns into a slurve at times. Um, moves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I it's matured a lot. It's, you know, it's taken time to develop. At times, I lost kind of feel for it. Uh, thankfully, at the end of last year, I kind of got the feel for it. And then into the offseason, kind of kept it going and got a good feel for it again. But, um, yes, definitely, you know, as I, as I changed my mechanics at times, um, as I got older, you know, trying to do fix stuff with my arm health and all this stuff, um, it's definitely changed shapes. Um, but now it's more, it's more consistent. It's more, you know, slurvy ish. Um, that's why I consider it a slider. Cause we know you got that dirty changeup as well. I'm curious, have you ever thought about just going four pitches curveball and slider, maybe making two things out of it or just you're good with that one. Cause it works. I mean, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, obviously. I, I tried in high school a little bit and then I kind of banged that idea. And then I tried it again, um, a couple off seasons ago and then I was working on it and then kind of banged it again. And then this year, early in the year, I thought about it again. And then I kind of stopped. I'm just trying to right now kind of master my three pitches. And then once I master those three, I could definitely, you know, I, I keep adding, hopefully. It's also helpful when you throw a hundred that usually helps too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, having that in the back pocket usually, usually helps when your fastball is a hundred and it's in your back pocket, you're looking at a pretty good pitcher. Well, I mean, we, you know, Hopefully keep maturing as a pitcher and definitely keep, uh, you know, progressing and, and adding on, uh, not not staying, you know, the same three pitches for the rest of my career. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was lucky. You asked before we were on air, Peter, about like ever crossing paths with Jesus playing in the same travel organization. Yeah. And, uh, we played against Douglas. Uh, I think it was my junior year. Uh, in like some fall tournament. So I don't think either team was rolling out their best. Thank goodness. Uh, Cause yeah. it would have sucked <laughs> to have faced you know, mid nineties from the left side. And as I have to switch around to the right side where I hate VLO, it would have been. <laughs> so yeah, having that in your back pocket is, is quite nice. And the back pocket thing is funny because I was watching your last start 
and you dealt in that last start against the Nationals uh, or against the Phillies, excuse me. Um, I think Bryce Harper Nationals still all the time. <laughs> it just, I'm never going to shake that one. Uh, but against the Phillies, you carved them up six innings, 11 Ks. But something that really stood out to me was you mentioned the feel for the curveball. You were throwing that thing in any count. And you like tripled up on it. I think you threw it three in a row to Freddie Galvis and the poor guy struck out on three pitches. Like you were pitching backwards. Then you were going to the fastball, blowing it by guys. Uh, what was the difference in that start? Was it really just the feel for the curveball that kind of set the baseline? Uh, because it just seemed like nobody knew what was coming and you had supreme confidence in that curveball. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, going into the game, uh, you know, I had a great feel for the breaking ball and uh, the fastball. I mean, my arm felt really good that day. Kind of just felt relaxed going last start of the year. Um, but at the same time, uh, me and uh, Ajax were on the same page. Uh, you know, we had the we were on the same page the whole time. Uh, I don't even think I showed once. It was just kind of, you know, whatever sign he was giving me, I had a lot of confidence in him. And we were on the same page. He was taking a great sequence, uh, which was something that I was working on towards the end of the year. And, um, you know, we were as a whole. So uh, being able to kind of get that last start under my belt and, and have that, you know, that rhythm that we we're, like you said, um, we we're just kind of going in a groove and then carving it up. So um, it was something good that to end on. And you've got a ton of swings and misses on that fastball and that outing. We've seen you rack up the swings and misses in bunches on the heater. And then at times it doesn't quite get that whiff rate as much. What's the kind of defining characteristic that, you know, you see between starts where the fastball plays and you're getting tons of whiffs and other times maybe it's not as effective. Honestly, in my mind, I would say, um, you know, maybe maybe it is something mechanically that changes uh, subconsciously. But for me, I think it's my mentality. I think that, um, you know, when I'm really confident in it, when I really just say, you know, I'm letting it go, I, you know, it feels great today. I'm I'm letting it eat. Um, that's when it's at its best. That's when I, you know, get it to the top of the zone, get those swings and misses. The times that you're kind of tentative and, and um, you know, you're like, I don't really know where this one's going at times, which is, you know, not the right mindset you want to have, but at times it gets to that mindset um, when you're in that kind of like that slump, I guess you could say. Um, but once you get out of that and once you're that free and easy, relaxed mindset, you know, I'm going and getting it. Uh, it was way better, way easier, way more free. Just taking you back to high school really quick, um, because me personally, I broke my medial epicondyle. Um, in my elbow pitching my freshman year. And I felt that it was a lot to do with overuse, you know, pitching as an eight, nine, 10, you know, 11 year old. Um, I'm just curious because you obviously had Tommy John as an 18 year old, but you were still looked very highly on, especially by the nationals because they drafted you. I'm just curious, do you ever point to something in your childhood or something that maybe led to that injury or is it possible that the overuse isn't that big of a deal? I'm just curious to your perspective on elbow injuries, on treating them in your youth and then moving forward and how that's going to relate. Yeah. I mean, I can't like, I can't specify one specific moment or that, uh, you know, time that I think that might've caused my elbow injury at a younger age, but I do think that uh, kids right now are, you know, pitching at a young age and, and becoming POs at a young age and, you know, trying to show it off all the time. I think that there is definitely um, room for, for improvement in that, in that sense of, you know, having kids kind of dial it back until they get a little bit older. But uh, in my sense, I would say I definitely pitched a lot when I was young, but I don't have a certain instance that I could say that, um, you know, it was this that caused it. Well, speaking of when we were kids, obviously you grew up playing down here. Peter grew up in California. It's year round. Weather's always warm. 
and you don't really take much of a break. And, and that also plays a big part in it. But growing up in South Florida, going to Marlins games at Joe Robbie or pro player, whatever the 35 names it had through the years. I mean, those are some of my favorite memories, even though it, it was kind of a dump. I just have a lot <laughs> of fun memories there. I'm sure you went to a ton of games. I saw some, some pictures that you put up when you went over to the Marlins uh, from, you know, you and your father at the game as a kid. And that's some of the memories I have as well. Uh, who did you kind of grow up loving on the fish uh, through the years? Cause there were some fun teams and when we were young, uh, even though they didn't do too much, there were some fun players out there. Who did you kind of idolize growing up with the fish? Uh, for me, my, definitely my first guy ever was Juan Pierre. Uh, that's yeah. why for nine, um, for me, like number nine was always big and still to this day is big. And it was always because Juan Pierre was my favorite player growing up. Um, and then, I mean, pitching wise, obviously D train, D train was huge for me. Uh, Josh Beckett, um, you know, Josh Johnson in his prime, in his moment. Yeah. It was, um, and then we had a, a lot of position players come through, obviously Miggy and all them. But uh, for me, those were my guys at the time. And to take it a step further, you know, Miggy's still in the big leagues now, which, which is crazy. Uh, but who was the player? And maybe it was Miggy at crossing paths at some point. But who was the player that when you got to the big leagues or even maybe in pro ball that you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm, you know, kind of appear, you know, with this guy, like we're in the same area, we're in the same domain now that kind of blew your mind. Uh, for me, it was definitely, I would say Jose Altuve, just because yeah. I have a story um, that I, uh, it was a funny story. I was 18 years old. I was rehabbing. We just moved down to West Palm, the new complex when I was with the Nats. And then I went to go eat Chipotle with like two of my buddies um, that were Venezuelan, from Venezuela. And we were eating, sitting down. I had my Venezuela uh, World Baseball Classic hat on and some random Chipotle in West Palm Beach. And uh, Jose Altuve walks in. He kind of notices my hat. We didn't say anything. He pays for his food and he's like, you guys mind if I sit here, sits down with us. These were three random kids that he'd never met. And we had a conversation for like 20, 30 minutes. We took a picture and um, I still actually have it up on my Instagram. I think it was like one of my first Instagrams. That's awesome. <laughs> so then I get up to the big leagues. I debut against the Astros. And the first thing he runs over to me, like says, we'll tell you they're hitting BP. He comes over, he says, you know, welcome. Uh, you know, it's good to see you. And he's like, you remember that time, you know, we met in like 2017 um, and we took a picture outside that Chipotle. And I was like, yeah, it was, I was kind of taken back that he remembered that. Wow. I was a random wow. kid at the time. So, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. And That's pretty awesome. Story. That is so cool. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what did Altuve get from Chipotle? Do you remember? I have no idea. Like a super order? <laughs> of course, that's where your mind goes. You're just thinking about his order. <laughs> I, wonder if it's a, I wonder if it's like insanely good. It gives him superpowers. I mean, he's an incredible player. Yeah, he's a, he's a freak. But another, an, I've heard you talk about the influence of another Venezuelan player, Yosemaro Petit. Um, in multiple interviews who has been just such a solid pitcher in the league since 2006, but he's a guy who's never had an average fastball of over 90 miles an hour in a league that values high velocity so much. So I'm really curious to what he's meant to you um, for your development as a pitcher and what he's kind of taught you in the art of pitching. If you could share that. Yeah, exactly. Like he's taught me a lot. Uh, in the art of pitching, you know, in, in terms of sequencing, in terms of, you know, how to read a, read a hitter. 
Um, and just watching him work, I, I enjoy watching him work. Um, you know, he's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. You know, he's a veteran. You expect him to kind of like go in there taking it easy. And first day of spring training, he's out there. He runs like four miles on the treadmill almost every day. So, I mean, it's the most incredible thing. He's always first one in the gym, uh, you know, staying out there, throwing flat grounds, really working on his craft. So just being able to watch him, he's a guy that leads by example. He's not a big talker, but every time he would open his mouth, you know, we'd all listen. So when he kind of pulled me to the side and kind of talked to me about pitching, whatever it was, even stuff that wasn't pitching when I was out in the bullpen, we would just talk about whatever it was life. And, uh, you know, it's a guy that uh, I have a lot of respect for. And, um, you know, he was just a big help to me. He kind of just um, took me under his wing at times. So I, you know, I had a lot of appreciation for him. Are there any other pitchers across the way that maybe uh, maybe aren't the stars? Like we've talked about Sandy Alcantara and Trevor Rogers, but maybe some other guys that have had a big influence on you that maybe are a little bit under the radar. Yeah, I mean, Sean Manaya, uh, big. He's not really under. Yeah, he deals. <laughs> yeah, he's nasty, but he was a big influence for me. He was one of my best friends when I was over there um, with, uh, with the A's. Uh, you know, he's a veteran presence. Same thing, kind of took me under his wing um, and just was a lot of help at times, uh, you know, in times of when I was struggling or when I was doing well, uh, you know, I was just, he was just he's so easy to bounce, uh, you know, so easy to talk to and bounce ideas off of, um, you know, him, uh, Chris Bassett, obviously. And then I obviously I had a lot of good friends still haven't come up uh, that were in AAA, but like, you know, they were older than me, guys that went through like, you know, senior science in college that had been through experiences that I hadn't been through, um, you know, Parker Dunchy, Brian Howard over in the Oakland A's organization. So those are guys that, um, you know, really kind of helped me come up. And then once I was up, the, you know, Manaya, the, the Bassets, the, um, you know, Petites would help me out. Taking the momentum from the end of last season and now rolling into next year, you mentioned you're working hard pretty much just treating it like a normal off season, despite, you know, some of the things that are going on and assuming that we're going to start on time, kind of like we are hoping and, and kind of just planning for uh, what are your big focuses on the mound when you're throwing your bullpen, when you're working towards next season uh, to really make sure that you can, you know, keep taking it to the next level and, and pitch to the best of your abilities. Yeah. I mean, right now, definitely just commanding that fastball, just dialing it in, um, you know, having full control over it and having full control over my body and, you know, the mechanics and where I'm at in my delivery at all times and uh, being able to make adjustments, uh, you know, one pitch adjustments, um, you know, just doing a lot of also like studying outside of pitching mechanics and pitching, um, you know, in terms of just like how to read hitters, um, you know, where to, you know, where to locate my stuff and how my stuff plays best for me. All these things that kind of go into pitching that most people don't think about. And in, in terms of the Marlins starting rotation, this is also something I'm curious about because you're an athlete, like you're a competitive person, one of the most competitive people on the planet. That's how you get to where you are. But this rotation is Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez, Edward Cabrera. And they have other guys like, I mean, Nick Neidert and Jake Eater and Max Meyer. They just have a ton of arms and you're right in the middle of that. How do you view the competition moving forward in 2022? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Um, yeah, I think it's honestly healthy. I think it's healthy for all of us. I think we all like that competitive edge and have to fight for, you know, earn for a spot. Um, I think that that just makes it that much better for all of us and, you know, being able to go out there and, you know, we're kind of all friends and we're kind of all competing uh, for the same stuff, but um, we kind of push each other to be better, I would say. So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for it. Definitely get going. It's also definitely a good thing. I mean, you guys are just loaded on the pitching staff side. It's not definitely not a bad thing at all. Never a bad thing. No, we have plenty of arms. So, yeah, it's real good. 
and a lot of good guys, you know, we, we bounce a lot of ideas off each other just because, you know, watching all these guys, they're all so good and they all do different things. So it's kind of just easy to pick, uh, you know, pick different guys' brains and hear different mentalities from different guys. So talking about the pitching staff, but on a side that's much less important hitting, you go <laughs> from the AL to the NL and you had to swing the bat a little bit. I think your first at bat, you actually didn't pull the trigger. I think you just, you, you didn't swing. I don't think. Yeah, I, did. I, I remember, I, I think I missed the AB. I was watching you on the bump and then I went to the bathroom. I see Kyle Carter, who's one of our mutual friends, throw a story up, I think of you hitting and just <laughs> totally making fun of you for not pulling the trigger once. Was That's that a, like, I'm not going to swing because I don't want to strain a muscle because I haven't used these muscles or were you just like not seeing the ball in that at bat? I haven't taken a swing and I took, I had one at bat and it was in Arizona, like the second week of the se of the year. And I was like, I'm not, I haven't swung a bat. I'm not swinging anymore. Like I'm just going to get up there and statue. And then once the second AB I got up there, I was like, all right, I'm going to take a little swing. And then uh, after that, you know, I got a little more comfortable. <laughs> Sandy Alcantara is one of the worst hitting pitchers in, <laughs> in all of baseball. Uh, he also hit one like 110 like, off, off of like DeGrom, I think. But he's one of the worst hitting pitchers in baseball. Pablo Lopez rakes. <laughs> Where do you feel like you stack up with some of those guys now that you've gotten the chance to take some BP? I can't. I mean, I can't talk too much smack because I didn't get a hit this year. Uh -huh. But I, I give Sandy such a hard time during BP. So I got to say I'm better than Sandy at hitting. And then after that, I'll probably probably the worst. Have you have you had the opportunity to because I know you haven't had that many at bats, but maybe in batting practice, if you ever had that opportunity, are there some pitchers that you face that are just downright disgusting? Uh, yeah, to be honest with you, I have. I mean, I faced I faced Morton. I luckily got a walk off him. Uh, somehow battled that my way through that. But Morton was. I mean, his stuff was just nasty, moving all over the place. So uh, that was that was definitely uncomfortable. That was pitching ninjas pitch of the year. That curveball that he had. Just absolutely diced up some guy. <laughs> now I understand. Now I get up there and I see how, you know, it's hard. It's hard to hit up there. Well, speaking for it being hard to hit, there's guys that really struggle to, to hit against you. And I kind of wanted to ask a trivia question here because I'm curious if you know who has the lowest batting average against you with at least eight at-bats. <laughs> I don't want to say the wrong name, so I'm going to say I don't know. <laughs> It's Carlos Correa. He's one for eight yeah. off of you with four Ks. Pretty solid. That's funny. That's a good stat. Honestly, I was going to take that guess, but I didn't want to be wrong. And then, you know, that's that's a bad look. <laughs> yeah, obviously. And then on the flip side, though, who, who, who do you think has your number the best? That one I feel like is easier oh. to remember. Because I talked to Niner about this. Obviously, Jeff Conine, I host a podcast with him. And uh, outside the box with Jeff Conine, he can remember back from like 30 years ago, the guy that just – carved him the hell up like oh, he yeah. doesn't forget it so i feel like yeah. you can kind of remember that on the mound a little bit oh yeah i can remember like i don't remember whose number i have but i can remember who's who has my uh yuli Guriel probably has my number the most if uh, there has to be the number one yeah I, um, uh, I would say that's i would say those are the two guys that, that gave me like struggles last year I, I don't mean to bag on you but we did look up uh Jesus Cesardo versus uh, some hitter stats and uh, Yuli Gurriel is five for seven with three bobs off you. But, you know, he's a good pitch. He's a pretty good hitter. He won a batting title and he also kills lefty. So it's tough. <laughs> it, that sounds exactly right. That's what I figured the numbers were. Who's who's a guy that um, maybe not gives you the most trouble in terms of statistics, but was there kind of a come to 
come to see moment in the MLB where you're like, oh, that's Mike Trout or that's Miguel Cabrera. Or was there any player where you, where you were on the mound and you your eyes opened a little bit more and you're like, oh, my God, it's really him? Um, I mean, yeah, for me, it was probably Mike Trout. I mean, I didn't get to face him in season, but I faced him in spring training. That was for me like my first time I was pitching in a big league camp and I got out there and, and faced Mike Trout. Um, you know, I was like, wow, this is really Mike Trout. But then once I got to, the, uh, once I got called up, I didn't have any of those like wow moments just because I felt like uh, in my head, you know, at that point it was kind of like the same level. I, I couldn't, uh, you know, throw to a, throw to a last name. I was more thrown to a hitter at the time. That's the way I you know, kind of put it in my head. But definitely that spring training outing that I faced Mike Trout kind of blew my mind for a second. Absolutely. Cause you can't have that mindset going up. Like you're like a fanboy or anything. It has to be like, I'm just going to beat down this hit or whoever it is. And I trust in my stuff, trust in that fastball. So that's, and that's a good mindset to have obviously that, you know, exactly. Yeah. So one of your former high school teammates, and, and I know a good buddy of yours also broke into the big leagues last year, Colton Welker, uh, and, and played with you at, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, uh, got to make his debut over with the Rockies. Uh, how cool was that to see some of your, you know, a high school teammate now break into the big leagues and, uh, you know, how much do you guys still stay in touch? No, it was awesome. Awesome to see Colton, uh, you know, break into the big leagues. Uh, you know, I feel like we all kind of knew that growing up, uh, everyone who knew him growing up and watching him play knew that he just had it in him. Um, just being able to, you know, being able to watch that, appreciate that, even though, you know, obviously um, I didn't see him in, in throughout the year, but uh, it was great to see him. You know, we catch up when we get back home. I see him probably a good bit, probably once every week or at least at least once every week. So uh, we definitely see each other, keep up um, and we're still good friends. So I'm excited to face him next year. Yeah, I played a lot, at least a few tournaments with him. I think probably when we were 15, 15 years old before before we made the elite squad jump and uh I've never that kid made hitting look so easy. Like that's just the the best way I could put it. Like he just hit everything. And that was one of those guys. I think we were in like eighth grade playing travel ball. And I was like, that guy's just going to be good. Like he'll be fine. Because as we move into 2022, as you have bounced around, I know that you're probably chomping at the bit, especially with this lockout. What are you most excited for looking forward to 2022? Maybe something in your development, maybe a mindset change, anything like that. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm excited to get going. I'm excited definitely for a mindset change. Uh, leave last year in the past, um, you know, obviously picked up a lot of things that I needed to work on and, and working on throughout the offseason. But now, I'm, you know, feeling good again and uh, just kind of have that mindset of, uh, you know, new, new year and then, uh, you know, just attack again. One of the last questions I just wanted to ask you, too, is, is you know, looking at this Marlins team, you obviously played for a couple playoff teams and and that's the crazy part about, I think the mindset is you kind of got thrown into it. Yeah. You had to have that killer instinct because you were pitching postseason innings for Oakland back-to-back years, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, you've seen what it takes to be a postseason team and how far off do you think this Marlins team is uh, after, you know, it was a frustrating year last year, but there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. They're retooled this year everybody's, you know, getting healthy. The pitching staff is healthy and they added offensive pieces as well. You know, how far off do you think this team is uh, given that you've kind of already been a part of a playoff team before? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I really don't think they're far off or I don't think we're far off at all. Um, I, I know that we're in a good division. Uh, you know, the Mets obviously added, uh, you know, the Braves are obviously really good and, um, you know, 
rest of the of the division is going to be tough. But I think that we're not far off. Like you said, I think our pitching is great. I think uh, the clubhouse is great. Um, you know, we added some guys, and I think you know the young guys that that took their their bumps last year are going to come up and and going to succeed this year. And um, you, you know, I think that we had a lot of uh, growing pains last year, even in my short time uh, there. But I think a lot of guys grew. Uh, me being one of them. And um, yeah, I think that the clubhouse is a big part of a winning team. And this clubhouse, uh, ever since I came over, was amazing. So. Um, like, like I said, I don't think we're far off at all. And th- that's also something I'm curious. What, what separates maybe this clubhouse versus others? Cause you've been, I mean, obviously down in the minor leagues at the Oakland A's and the Washington nationals for a bit. What do you think separates this Marlins clubhouse from other teams? Um, I mean, every, every team, I guess is different and the way, you know, the way each team goes about it is different, but this one's just a lot of fun. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of young guys, a lot of, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's just a lot of fun. We just, uh, you know, we keep it light. Uh, we know how to have, uh, you know, be serious and know how to work hard. A lot of guys like to work hard, a lot of strong work ethics, but at the same time, you know, we keep it fun. Uh, like I said, young team mixed with an older group as well. So um, we, we kind of have that great balance between both. And who's one player uh, that you think could really burst onto the scene next year that you really think could break out and have a big year that doesn't maybe get enough attention or, or maybe people are sleeping on a little bit for next season outside of yourself. Cause mm-hmm. when I shot you the text that bring you on the show, I told you, you know, we talked about breakout pitchers for next year You're on it. Uh, and you were one of them. And that's part of the reason why you know, I was like, Oh, we got to ha- follow up w- with having Zeus on the show right after that, which is going to be, re- which was awesome. Uh, but you know, outside of yourself, uh, who's a breakout candidate that you think could really burst onto the scene next year? I think my guy, Anthony, it's gonna be a stud next year. Um, yeah, I watched him pitch, uh, and he's got that dog in him, and he's he's got a disgusting stuff, um, you know. And, and he's got a good when he's out there in the eighth inning, you know. He he's we all have the confidence, and he has the confidence in himself. So I think Anthony Bender is gonna be a big name to kind of you know break out. Anthony Bender is pretty nasty. Is there maybe someone on offense that you've been seeing just rake in the cages where you're like, I don't want to face him if I was on another team. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen many of the guys in the offseason, but I think Jesus Sanchez is going to have a breakout year as well. I mean, I think absolutely bang. So, um, you know, hopefully he keeps that going like he did at the end of last year. Awesome, man. Yeah, well, we really appreciate the time, and uh, this is a great conversation. And uh, I think we'll be right on the breakout pitchers list. We had you there for a reason because you throw gas and your off speed's great and you got a good head on your shoulder. So we're excited to watch you in 2022. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Really excited for next year. Uh, Big things coming. Thank you, Adam. I mean, that was awesome. We just interviewed a major league player and a really good one at that, a guy who throws 100 miles an hour and he's got an absolute bender. I did want to ask the question, too, about the fed grass versus baseball savant that they can't even track his his off speed because it's just that nasty. They don't even know what to call it. They don't know what it is. it's like, it's just a, it's a mystery curve ball. Like, I guess it's a mystery breaking ball, but the important thing is top 10 in whiff rate among all breaking balls in all of baseball last year. So the pitch plays, uh, I'm glad that he kind of said it was, it's more of like a slurvy, more of a slider or more, he kind of says more of like a slurvy pitch. Right. So, I mean, that's really, really interesting just kind of seeing how, how pitchers really feel with their arsenal. And uh, it was a pitch that was huge for him uh, as he started to see success at the end of the year. And then, like you said in the interview, when you throw 97 to 100, uh, it's it's a lot easier to, to fall back on those kinds of pitches. But such a nice dude, grinder. Uh, grinder. And 
he's 24. Like he feels like he's, he's one of those guys that feels like he's been around forever because he was such a high profile prospect at such a young age. And now he's been part of two massive deals. As you mentioned in the episode, Sean Doolittle as part of that world series run for the Nats. So Jesus should get a ring for that. And then also straighted straight up for, or traded straight up for Starling Marte, who was one of the best players in baseball last year. Like this guy's been a part of a couple major deals. He's been a top prospect for a long time it's easy to forget that he's 24. There's prospects that are 25 that we're still ranking in the top 100 list. Like this is a young dude. Absolutely. And I'm so excited to see how he pitches because I think he definitely will slot into this rotation somewhere, um, whether it be at the four. I mean, I feel like this solidified three with Pablo, Sandy and Trevor, but he's going to fight for one of those last remaining spots in the rotation. How do you see this Marlins rotation stacking up when we look at 2022? Because I don't think there's a wrong answer there. I mean, you have so many options. And even in the TikTok live, we're saying like, this might be a top five starting rotation. So anyone you lead off, you leave, you leave off doesn't mean necessarily they're a bad pitcher because they're going to be used heavily. I wonder if they even go six deep. It's crazy because, you know, I'm, I'm instantly thinking, oh, I package a pitcher and go do something else. But the Marlins somehow ended up with a three-man rotation last year because they had so many injuries. So, you know, I think it's good to have that starting pitching depth, but I think that they kind of have that already. I, I think the upside of Lizardo, right, like if, if he puts it together next year the way we know he can uh, and the way he knows he can, uh, the way that we saw Trevor Rogers really connect after the after a shaky-ish rookie year and then really put it together, like if Jesus is even just close to what he is capable of, that's the Marlins' fourth starter, a guy who was – Per fan graphs, you know, last time he was ranked before graduating, number five prospect in baseball, like that guy's still there. And he still has a lot of the things that he had. And now he's in an organization that develops pitching as well as anybody in baseball. They don't do a lot of other things very well, but they do that. Uh, This is a very exciting opportunity. And I just love the idea. And I was glad we were able to ask him about it, of him just being surrounded by a bunch of young guys who had similar struggles. Trevor had command issues. Uh, Sandy had command issues. And both of them have electric stuff with with good off speed that they just couldn't quite harness and i think we're gonna see jesus start to do that and if he does that i mean dude this rotation it's ridiculous then you're figuring out who the five is between Sixto sanchez uh eliezer hernandez edward cabrera like i I really think that they're going to deal a couple of these guys because even if they do they still have extra pitching depth so it's going to be really interesting to see on the other side of the lockout on the outside looking in, me personally, I think I would start with Jesus Cesardo and Edward Cabrera in that rotation. Sixto's got to prove. You know, yeah. Sixto Sanchez has got to prove that he can make this rotation. I'm not sliding him in over guys who have proved it already. No, I know right. Edward Cabrera, as soon as he came up, he didn't have that much success, but we see the potential. I mean, first of all, the greatest MLB, the show pitcher ever. And that matters because that stuff is that electric. So you know Derek Jeter cares about that too. And he does. I mean, of course, Derek Jeter cares about that. He's not looking at his DRS. He's looking at MLB the show, right? Definitely not the DRS. I think he probably puts more stock into his MLB, the show ratings than his, like, than any players like DRS, like, oh, his defensive rating is 86 on MLB, the show. That's more important than DRS. Uh, I wonder, do we know who makes those ratings in MLB, the show? Like, do we No, there's no like Ronnie 2K. There's no, yeah, like, that's what I'm thinking. There's no like Michael MLB. Like, that's not that's not a thing. Um, but yeah, that is pretty funny. We should if, if how this can we do out, it? Yeah, I'm down. John means 99. Uh, He's earned but, it. Three, five, four ERA. I'm not going to take any more John means slander here. He was a good pitcher. 
Yeah, it was. It was. It's just John Means. It's like an auto-generated name. <laughs> and uh, but no, honestly, if this lockout gets dragged out enough, bro, we might have to just start going into like MLB the show rating. <laughs> no, but what's exciting is that a lot of people have really loved when we're playing general manager for these teams. So the next team up on Friday, you will see us finally fill out the ballot. We're going to talk about Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling. Um, and the remaining guys, and then we're officially filling out our ballot. And then as we break into next week and the weeks moving forward, we're going to start playing GM with every single team. We're going to say wh- who we'd buy, maybe some trades that we'd make, um, some movements within their own team. For example, on the yesterday's Twins episode, we talked about possibly moving Mitch Garver over to first base, moving Ryan Jeffers to catcher. And saying goodbye to Miguel Sano slightly. That's just one of the moves that we've made. Um, and I'm excited to talk about the St. Louis Cardinals next week as their first. Um, but you can check out all the stuff about the twins on justbaseball.com. You can find the article about Jesus Cesardo as well as our breakout pitchers on justbaseball.com. Anything else before we uh, say adieu uh, for Friday? Uh, no, man. Just sick week content wise. Uh, we got a lot more interviews in the pipeline across the board. Uh, I mentioned in the last episode, but I'm going to be interviewing Book Shambi in the next couple of days with Jeff Conan. And, you know, we've got some exciting interviews coming up when I launch the uh, prospect show in the next week. And then we've got some interviews on the just baseball show too. Like we're, we're going in every angle right here and, and a lot of fun content as we continue to just kind of churn out these GM, uh, kind of episodes that people seem to really like. And then I love how we can follow it up with a system right up. And I, I still have the Cardinal system to write up. So it works out really well. And something that we're going to continue to talk about as well in, in the link in the episode description, we are still selling these t-shirts hashtag bigger than baseball. And we are donating all proceeds from that shirt to local charities down there in Kentucky and the surrounding states in the South who were affected by the tornadoes and other weather storms that devastated a lot of those areas. So make sure that before you get your just baseball hat, before you get your just baseball merch, check out that shirt because we are donating all proceeds, like I said, to charities down there while also matching $500. And that link to that shirt will be in our episode description. You could also find it on our merch store. Um, if you search just baseball merch on Shopify, or you could find it on our website or on our Instagram again at just baseball fans and at just baseball show. Anything else? I, I couldn't, I couldn't top that. I had nothing else after that. Like, yeah, do that. But yeah, we're, we're really proud of that. I know we talked about it last time. It's been nice to see a lot of it sell already mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people supporting the cause. And, um, you know, I'm glad that we can do anything that we can. And uh, I really hope you enjoyed this, this interview with Lizardo because we're going to be doing a lot more, you know, interviews with current players, former players and stuff like that moving forward, uh, just sprinkling those in here and there. Uh, so we kind of come at you from all angles on the Just Baseball Show. And, uh, you know, we're just getting started, as I told you in that solo episode I did that I secretly did without telling you so that you wouldn't come on and, and not just rest for like a minute. I don't like resting. No, when I, I, no you, Peter doesn't sleep. He just lays down with his eyes open and says, I'm good. You know that uh, quote from the big short, um, I'm only happy when I'm unhappy. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I feel sometimes with all the rest of it. But subscribe to our YouTube. You know, you could watch us on YouTube as well. Um, Arm's going to be doing a lot of swing breakdowns. We're putting more stuff on our YouTube. And with that, thank you, everybody. Say goodbye 
your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.